Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This morning, we're so honored to have Rick and Rita DeBose with us today. Pastor Rick has served as a pastor. He served as the superintendent of the North Texas District. He currently serves as the assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, and today he's serving as, as our guest speaker who last night spoke to about 85 of our leaders and just, uh, uh, there was moments last night, uh, Pastor, when you were speaking, I just, I was just holding back the tears because the Lord was speaking to me so real through you, and I just know that's what you're going to experience this morning. Uh, he spoke, he's been with us before, and those of you that were here two years ago, he's here uh, many of us have re- reflected upon that message. I can tell you exactly what you preached two years ago because it's so impactful uh, to me personally. And we've had conversations about it with other church members, but I know he's going to bless your heart today. We're so privileged to have him and his wife with us today. Would you all give him a great assembly welcome as he comes to share the Word of God with us this morning. God bless you, brother. right direction. There we go. Well, is God good to you? Oh, that's a little weak. Has God been good to you? Yeah, that's, I'm in the right church. That's what I wanted to hear. It's so good to be here. It's so good to be up here, down here from where I was in Arkansas and uh, be a part of what God's doing in Cabot. Last night we, uh, we got here in time to see a little bit of the city. That took about four minutes. It was an incredible experience. No, I'm just cutting up. I actually think you're growing. I'm seeing some new stuff pop up around here. Good things are happening, it seems, in the way of the city. That's pretty exciting. Such an honor to be here. You know, we're talking about, I love that song, by the way, Speak the Name of Jesus. What a song. I don't know who wrote that, but God bless them for it. Incredible, powerful song. Sometimes that's just the best thing to do, isn't it? You know, that word apostle means sent one. That word sent one doesn't mean sent to a location. I know we try to make that be that, but that's not what it means. It's like one sent with authority. It's like God has, you have an affidavit. It's like, it's like you've been given power of attorney. Does that make sense? That I come in his name. He's given me the power to represent him. So, ooh, did you feel that or not? I don't know. How am I going to help you get going today? I'm telling you that when you have been sent with a power of attorney, when you step into the room, your signature means as much as the person who gave you the right to sign on their behalf. That's powerful. I can buy property. I can sell stuff. I can trade stuff. I can do what I want because I've been empowered by the man who has the authority to sign on his behalf. And when he sends us in his name, Are you keeping up with this? When I speak the name of Jesus, I'm not speaking just me saying Jesus. No, I'm saying Jesus said. I'm speaking on his behalf. And when that kind of faith stirs up in you and you begin to speak that name, I'm telling you, demons tremble. Sicknesses sicknesses start to shrink up. Lives begin to shift. Things that have been holding on a long time can't hold on anymore. Something begins to happen. It's time as a church we begin to understand the power that God has given us and our sent authority by his name and his power. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Wow. 
That was stirring my faith up. I was just, uh, I was ready to lay hands on everybody. I was just ready to line them up and let's just have church and drive the devil out of here. He has no place. Jesus is Lord. Amen. All right. Well, I'll gain control here. Give me just a second. But that was great worship. Thank you. Matter of fact, that was really good worship. You know what? You have, you, you're blessed people. You're blessed people. Have great worship and a great preacher and good leadership and good care and the, the Spirit of the Lord in the house, you are a blessed people. You're a blessed people. And it's an honor for us to step in the middle of it today and just share some things God's put on our heart. We're gonna, it's, we're, I'm just going to teach. I, this is not preachy today. It's teachy. And um, teachy is not a word, but you got the picture. But let's ask God to help us. You want to do that with me? Lord Jesus, I'm so honored to be here today. I'm so blessed. You're so good to us. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. And we thank you for your word. It truly is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's bread, nourishment to our soul. Sometimes it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes it cuts stuff off of us that doesn't need to be on us. Sometimes it performs a surgery that brings healing. Your word is magnificent. Lord, something happens when your word is declared, when it's released, it never returns void. It accomplishes its purpose. And there's something about it when it's spoken with a prophetic anointing so that it's not just the education and the understanding that it brings to us, but it releases faith in us. Faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, I am asking that all of that be a part of this next few moments as we break open your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray it for each person here. They would hear you speak, not me. They would hear you speak to them. Holy Spirit, impart your truth and let your truth bring freedom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Wow. Last night, those of you who were here, it was so good to be with you. And we got to kind of get ahead of everybody just a little bit. Because we talked through what I call mess to masterpiece. Now, I know that's a crazy title. But I pulled that title. You'll, this all makes sense in a minute. But it, it's how God took a mess and turned it into a masterpiece. When in the beginning of, of creation, in the very first part in the first scripture in the Bible, the Lord opens the door not to the nothing that existed or didn't exist before God said, let there be. But because but, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews teaches us that before there was anything, there was nothing God spoke. And out of his word, things came into being, showing us the power of the word of God. And so we see that. But our story that we get in the scripture doesn't start there. It starts where he said there was this mess. It was unproductive, empty, just, just a mess. There was no value in it. It was just just mess. And then over that mess was a darkness. And then God spoke into that, and he said, let there be light. And then in the next six days, he takes the mess and turns it into a masterpiece. By the end of the sixth day, we have a man, we have this garden, we have all these other things in place. Now, now here's what we learned from the process. God could have said, God could have said, and everything I'm thinking be now, and it would have been. He didn't have to do what he did. But for our sake, partly, he showed us the processes and pieces necessary to take our messes and turn them into a masterpiece. 
The individual steps on day one, day two, day three, all of these steps mattered that ultimately got us to this incredible result. And he was teaching us his ways when he was doing that. When he said on the first day, let there be light on the second day. And then he, and we're going to do all that. So, so what we see is this process God uses. Now, why is it so important to us? It's important to us because we go to God with our best and we say, God, this is the mess. Some of it I inherited from my parents and my society and my world. Some of it I inherited from Eve and Adam when they sinned. But this is the mess I have inherited. And then this is the add-on mess that I've added to the mess I already had. And this is what I did to it, so it's worse now than it was when I got it. This is the mess. And this is the devil's fault, and this is my parents' fault, and this is my fault, and this is my teacher's fault. We got Somebody did this to me, it's that fault. But it's all a mess. This is the whole thing, and this is it, and this is what I'm giving you, and I'm asking you to turn it into a masterpiece. And God says, okay, I'll take that challenge. Let's do that. And we go, yeah. And then God says, and here's how we're going to do it. And he puts us in the process I'm about to show you. And sometimes, because it's not instantaneous, we say, well, God, I asked you and you didn't do it. You start doing this when I asked for that. And God said, you don't understand this has to do with that. Does that make sense? And so when you understand his process, it's easier to hang in there, keep the faith, keep moving. So we're going to learn a lot. And I'm going to teach at about 227,000 miles an hour. So you're going to have to really stay engaged because this, this and I'm not lying, when I teach this whole thing, it takes seven hours. And somebody say, oh, God, help us. We're in trouble now. I know. I saw that look on your face. No, we're going to do all of this in just a few minutes because I'm not going to do all the deep diving stuff. Some of that I did last night for those of you on phase one. But I'm telling you, the first thing God says, and when we, when we have it, actually, actually, when you say, God, I have a mess and I need you to fix it, you are already operating in the beginning of phase one because you wouldn't even know you had a mess if the light hadn't already come on. Mm, that's preaching right there. I'm telling you. You say, I've been a mess this whole time, but I didn't know I was a mess. And then the light came on, and I said, oh, God, I'm a mess. And God said, I know. The whole world knows. We all know. Everybody knows. You're the last one to get the clue that you got a mess. And we all do that. But now you see the mess. What does that mean? That means the beginning of phase one is started. For everything begins when God says, let there be light. Let there be light. What does light do? Light gives us revelation. Things that have been hidden are no longer hidden. Things that have been unseeable, unknowable, unrecognizable. They've been hid in the shadows, stuck away in the back. Suddenly, they're not hid anymore. They come out into the clear and we see them. Usually, when we first see the reality of who we are, because the first part of that phase is, is, a, is a real, our present reality, an awareness of our present reality. And usually, when we first see that awareness, the light comes on. We don't like what we see because God didn't change what it was. He just let us see what it was. Now, he already knew that even when it was shrouded in darkness, God could see God doesn't he already knew because God knows all things so he knew it was there but nobody else knew it and then God turns the light on and all of a sudden what we see is an empty void mess and that's the first thing we see in the scripture when the light comes on but the light coming on doesn't mean that God just wants to show us how bad we are so that he can discard us remember God's in the redemption business God's in the business of redeeming what has been lost bringing back so when he shows it to us it's not to discourage us it's to get us ready for a trip that he wants to take us on for a process he wants to take us through. Is that making sense so far? So their light comes on and I see it. I see my family sometimes as dysfunctional. When all of my life I grew up in that dysfunction, it was my grandparents' dysfunction who gave it to my parents' dysfunction, and now it's my dysfunction. And we've all done it so long, we thought it was normal. 
we thought is how life. Then, then I go to this church and I start going home with other people and I see how they do life and I look at my life and I look at their life and I look at my life and then I go home and I say to my parents, y'all are dysfunctional. <laughs> well, who told you that? Well, nobody had to tell me, but I went and saw what healthy looks like and so now I know what unhealthy looks like. Is that making sense? And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes I'm just reading in the Bible, and it tells me how things are supposed to be. And I look over here, 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 and I say, this is a mess. I'm walking in a revelation because the Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it reveals things in my life. And, and revealing it and, and admitting that something's wrong, that's the beginning of the whole process. Until I can say that, I, I don't have any hope. Until I, I'm just going to keep reproducing and be less than I could be, not accomplish what I should be, I'm going to continue to live in that mess thinking it's normal thinking it's it's how life's supposed to be until until the light comes on and then i see it but god never stops there because when the light comes on god doesn't just show us our mess he always gives us a fresh revelation of who he is he lets the light shine on him now we don't know all of him yet we're not going to know all of him on this side of heaven we're going to see just enough of him and then he shows a little more and i see him a little more today at this age and this many years of service and working with him and reading his Bible and going after him. I see a little bit more about him today than I knew, but I realize I still only see a little bit of who God really is. And what I've noticed is, are you with me on this? Is that every time God shows me something with me that's dysfunctional, he shows me something with him big enough to fix it. And so he shows me, and I'll say, I want to see how great you are. And God says, you don't even need to know that. It'd be too much for you. If you saw how great I was, you'd just fall over and die. I mean, you couldn't stand. That's what he told Moses. Moses said, I want to see you. And he said, if you saw me, you'd die. He said, I'm going to let you see my backside as I leave the room. I'm going to give you one little perspective of me. I'm going to let you see what I look like leaving. <laughs> well, that's, that's better than not at all. So I'll take that deal, he said. And he saw it. So what God is saying to us is there's so much more of me, but I, I, I never want to give you more of me than I've already prepared you to show you that you need that part of me. Is that making sense so far? And so we're working in this, let there be, all that's on the first day. The third thing he shows us when the light comes on is our potential and our purpose. I love Ephesians, and I, I think I put that scripture up there. Yep, we had, nope, that's, I didn't read all that scripture. That's a good scripture. If I'd have read it, you'd have liked it. Keep moving. And so we get to Ephesians. I'm trying to save you some time here. Ephesians chapter, uh, chap, chapter 1, verse 17. Do we have that in, in the notes? I don't know. Let me read it to you. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of revelation. That's that let there be light moment. Are you with me so far? So that you may know him better. Woo. Yeah, I want you to have, is all this making sense? It's the same thing I just said. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Did you know God has something he's hoping you'll accomplish? Did you know God has something he hopes you'll do? Something that's a part of your purpose, your potential, your, you, what you could be, should be, and must be, need to be, and can be, and it's all out here. But what happens is we get over here in this dysfunction, and we don't know we're dysfunctional, but because we're in this and without light, we just stay in this little circle, and we never accomplish that hope. And so God shines light on our stuff that's not right, and don't not to discourage us, but to show us, hey, I can deal with this. Then he shows us who he is so he can deal with this, and then he shows us 
what our hope is, what his hope is, what our purpose is, that we have purpose and power. Now, all of that comes in day one when he says, let there be light. And, and last night I dug a little more into that, and I'm telling you, there, there's a lot there. What I want you to get is the fact that divine revelation comes from God, and that there's no way to see what you can't see unless God turns the light on. Mm. You didn't know you were a sinner till God turned the light on. You didn't know you needed a Savior till God turned the light on. And did you know he has more light to shine on you, to show you things you haven't seen yet? So that's the first part. So on the second day, what did he do? That's the first day. So now God's got all that set up. We now have purpose. We, we now have a revelation of God. We now have a revelation of our dysfunction. And we see all of that. So then day two comes. All right, God, let's fix this today. Now we've seen it. Let's clean it up. And God says, all right. So on the very first day, he establishes what we call atmosphere. So what, what does that mean? He separates He separates. From the earth, the water, the mess, he pulls up an expanse. That's kind of one of the words he uses there. He creates an expanse, and he puts water around the water. So it speaks of this membrane that he builds around the mess, and he pulls it out here. And what's that called? We call that atmosphere. He actually creates an atmosphere before he starts doing any work. Now, this is powerful. Because atmosphere matters. Did you know that atmosphere pretty well predetermines what lives and dies? I mean, you can plant stuff in the Arkansas atmosphere that'll just do real, real well in Arkansas, but some of that same stuff, if you plant it up in the mountains of Colorado, it won't grow because the atmosphere is not the same. You can take it to some other regions of the world and it just won't produce because the atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. As a matter of fact, most of the plant life we have anywhere in the world has already purged itself so that those things that can live in that, in that atmosphere do and those things that can't aren't there because the atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. As a matter of fact, once you understand the power of atmosphere, you begin to see why God begins to deal with the atmosphere before he begins to answer the prayer you're now praying because of the dysfunction you now see. And you say, God, I got this dysfunction. I want you to fix me. God says, well, I could fix you. But the same atmosphere that allowed it to, to grow before will allow it to grow again. And so why would I fix it if next week I'm going to have to fix it again? And the week after that, I'm going to have to deal with it again. How many times are we going to have to keep having the same prayer answered before finally we say, God, something's wrong with my atmosphere here, that this continues to grow in me, and what should be growing is not growing in me. And so God comes in. So you want to fix that dysfunctional family. What you do is you walk in there, and you write a bunch of rules and put them on the refrigerator. This is how we're going to live. No, that doesn't work. They've been, that's been tried all over. America. And all that does is get it to the place where you can't find the handle on the door to your refrigerator because of all the rules that we now have in this family because the rules have not fixed us. You go into that same house though and you begin to shift the atmosphere. You begin to change the atmosphere and the feel of the room and the house and the family and the atmosphere will actually begin to crush out those things that can't live in the new atmosphere and it'll make room for things to live that couldn't live before because the atmosphere atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. Are y'all with me so far? 
as a district superintendent, when I would have to go deal with dysfunctional churches, it wouldn't take me long till I would say, there's an atmosphere in this house that's allowing all this nonsense to grow. When I can get rid of that atmosphere, that stuff can't grow here anymore. And the stuff of faith and truth and life can begin to grow when you shift the atmosphere. Are you with me so far? And so on the second day, he made a big deal out of atmosphere. And often in our lives, we begin to pray for this to happen, and God begins to do things that affect atmosphere rather than the thing we're asking for. What affects atmosphere? Well, there's two or three things that, that boy, if I had all day, we could just teach atmosphere. One of them is an atmosphere brought about by the very Spirit of God, an atmosphere that's by His presence. His presence always produces the right atmosphere, and the lack of His presence creates a problem. And so we need his presence in our life. Now, how do we, how do we accomplish that? Well, there's two, two major things that affect the atmosphere. One is prayer and worship. When you begin to pray, you begin to shift the atmosphere. The devil doesn't like prayer. And so the atmosphere that he's trying to bring, when we begin to pray and worship, we begin to push back that atmosphere of the devil. That's why the Bible teaches us, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Your thanksgiving is not about you being thankful for the bad. It's about you being thankful in the midst of the bad, because that keeps you in control of the atmosphere. And the atmosphere is going to determine the outcome of what's going on. Is that making sense? When you're being thankful, you shift the atmosphere. You go into a thankful house and a thankful church and a thankful people. I'm telling you, that's an atmosphere God can work miracles in. It's an atmosphere thing. You go in this old unthankful, ingratitude attitude that goes on and all these people complaining and stuff. I'm telling you, that's the atmosphere. The devil can grow animosity. He can grow all kinds. Are y'all with me? He can begin, but I shift the atmosphere. So I, so God says, don't even worry about that stuff yet. Don't worry about trying to stamp out all the bad. You'll wear yourself out. These weeds are growing faster and you can pull them. Don't go there. Just shift the atmosphere and see what will happen naturally when the atmosphere. So number one, worship and praise. Learning to be a worshiper. Learning to be a worshiper when you're by yourself, learning to be a worshiper in the midst of difficulty, learning to pray. When you begin to pray, heaven begins to move, things begin to happen. Take control of the spiritual part of the atmosphere first. Are you with me so far? I'm covering a lot of ground. That's as far as I'm taking you. Number two, in that, get watch out who you hang with because people have atmospheres. Mm, people carry one with them. They got a little atmosphere thing. They're just like walking around like a spaceman with their little suit on. They got their little atmosphere, and it's portable. And wherever they go, they've got their atmosphere. There are people that if you get in the room with them, they, they can actually walk in the room and shift the whole atmosphere of the room. You ever met any of those people? I mean, we were all having a great time. Then they showed up. They just literally just changed the shift in the atmosphere. And sometimes, sometimes other people come in the room, though, and they bring the whole atmosphere back up because their walk with God is so dynamic that what they take with them is actually positive to the atmosphere. So this atmospheric shift matters. So, here's, so I'm praying about this over here, and God says, all right, we're going to do this. I want you to quit hanging out with this person, this person, this person. Well, Lord, they all need you. I know they need me. But right now, what you need is a miracle to get you big enough so your atmosphere is more powerful than their atmosphere. At this moment, their atmosphere is more powerful than your atmosphere. So I'm going to have to pull you away so I can do the work I need to do in you to grow you into the person where you have the influence instead of the person being influenced. Wow. Sometimes God will actually cause us to 
leave the job we have. And we're saying, God, it's a good job. It's got good benefits. I like my job. God says, your job's killing you because the atmosphere there is destroying the work I'm trying to do in your life. And God will actually uproot us from places when we don't understand why. And he puts us somewhere else. And things begin to happen that couldn't happen. Because of that atmosphere, because of the people, because of the people involved, because of all that's there, because of the motivations and the, and the mandates and all that create that atmosphere. And literally, they've been hindering us. God puts us in another place. How do I tell the story? I tell it like this. Moses was born in the house of a slave. Moses' parents were slaves. All of Israel were slaves. That's all they knew was slavery. They thought like slaves. They lived like slaves. They learned to be, well, the atmosphere was slavery. And God says, I need Moses to be a world-class leader who can lead my people out of slavery and into the fullness of what I have. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach over, and I'm going to pull Moses out of the house of a slave. I'm going to put him in a little basket, float him across the Nile River, and I'm going to let him be picked up by the house of a Pharaoh. And he may, he doesn't, I don't need him to be a Pharaoh but what I need him to do is grow up in the house of a king rather than the house of a slave. Because what I can make him in the atmosphere of a king's house is different than what I can make him in the house of a slave's house, in the atmosphere of a slave's house. God literally raised him up. This rest of Moses' life, when he was 80 years old, he began to lead the people of Israel. He always saw life different than them. He always saw God different than them. He always had faith they couldn't seem to get to. He was a whole different person than they were. Why? Because he was raised in a different atmosphere. And what God could do in that atmosphere in his life was different than what he could do in them and their atmosphere. As a matter of fact... Every one of them, except Joshua and Caleb, had to die in the wilderness because he couldn't bring forth the transformation in their life that he needed to make. Wow. Y'all keeping up with this? And so when God, when we're praying for God to do this, and God begins to do things in our life that uproots us from the place that has helped us good or bad, to become what we are. He begins to shift our atmosphere and put us in different atmospheres around different people. He's teaching us how to worship. He's teaching us how to praise. He's teaching us how to be thankful in all things. He's doing all this work in us. And we say, what does this have to do? It has everything to do because atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. So the second thing God does in our life when he's building us into a masterpiece is give us the right atmosphere. Y'all still keeping up? I know I'm going 100 miles an hour, but... It's the only speed that'll get us through in time to eat lunch today. So let's, let's do it. Number three, day three. On the third day, God divided the land from the water. He literally took, he literally took, because it was, remember, it was a mess. It was all just globbed together. And then he begins to separate it, and he puts the water with water, and he puts the land with land. That's all, that's just, that's the simplicity of what he did on that day. What did he do? He organized. He structured. He put groups of stuff together. He, he, he began to create a structure. Now, does structure matter? Yes, structure matters. God will actually help us whether we're, whether we're seeing a church transformed or a city transformed or a nation transformed or personal transformation. Structure matters. God will begin to, begin to put structure in our life that we didn't have before. He'll begin to do some things in us. First, first of all, he'll help us establish how we use the time how we use our hours, how we use our days in the week. Early in God's process, he established.
structure that on the seventh day everyone would rest. He established a structure and a rhythm to their life. He established night and day for the sake of rest and work. He put structure in place. And we understand quickly that structure becomes very important because structure matters. I don't have a lot of time on this like I don't on the others, but let me give you a story. They, they tell me, I was at a place, we were in Spain actually, and I saw these big, these big vines. We were going through this vineyard where they, they grew a lot of grapes and I guess made a lot of wine. But in these, in these vineyards, they had these structures and the grape vines were connected to the structures. Well, the structures were now huge. They could actually drive little pickup trucks down through between the structures and they had arbors with grapes. It was, it was phenomenal. So I'm talking to them about, I said, how did this happen? So what's happened over 300 years? Oh, Oh, I said, so they built this structure 300 years ago, plant. No, that's not how it works. You build a little structure and you get the little vines to grow and they're just little structure with little wires that they can hold on to because they're little vines and they don't have big grippers. Grippers, not a real word, but you got the picture. And so they, they work their way up and they get about this big and then they get strong. And then that's, but then, and they begin to produce, but that's, they're not producing well yet because, because because they're limited by their structure. Because the structure that got you here is the structure that'll keep you here. Did I need to say that again? Because I think it just went right over our heads. The structure that got you here is the structure that'll keep you here. And so the way you've been structured over here, that structure is not going to let you become what God wants you to be. You're going to have to restructure how you do life and how you do church and how you do whatever. And so the little structure. So what do they do? Well, then they peel the vine off of that structure, tear it down, and they build a bigger structure because now the vine can hold on to bigger pieces and, and it can do some things it couldn't do. And they work with it, get it connected, and then it fell, fills up this structure. And then they do it again, and they do it again, and they keep restructuring. One of the things we learn is this, Christians, it's this. We never marry our structure. We use a structure. We don't make it holy. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the church now. Isn't that what we do? God uses the structure and we say, well, this is, this is the way of God. Hallelujah. It's how it'll always be. Because God used this structure. He, we planned this, we prayed about it, and we built this structure. And now the church grew to that structure. So it must be God. But once that structure has used itself up and fulfilled its potential, that which was the answer is now the problem. I hope y'all are hearing this. Pastor's going to lead you someday to rip everything off the structure you're comfortable with. And you're all going to say, we don't like you anymore because we liked our structure because we were comfortable with it. We were confident in it. I got saved in that structure. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in that structure. And then you come along and say that structure's our problem. That's a holy structure. It's God's structure. Well, it was. It was. But God said, I am God and I do a new thing. And if you stay to the old thing, you put a limit on God. Is that making sense? And so structure matters because without the structure, the vines grow on the ground. They get trodden down. They never produce their potential without structure. But the structure, they're done in levels. So I have a structure that gets me to here. Now I'm strong enough to have a structure that gets me to there. And then I'm going. So in my life, personally, the structure I use as a new Christian that gets me up and going, it's a good structure and it helps me. My little five minutes a day of Bible reading and, and I'm getting lost. I love my five minutes a day. And I go through my little prayer thing and I meet with my little 
group. Well, that's good. That'll get you to about here. And then there's a day when to go to the next level, I've got to go about 30 minutes in the Bible. I've got to spend a little more time, and I've got to learn how to be an intercessory prayer warrior, and I've got to learn how to pray in the Spirit. And then that begins to move me. And then there's a point where I can't grow anymore until I begin to lead somebody else, until I begin to take responsibility for others. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This is good preaching this morning. And now I have to shift there. I can't completely become what my purpose is until I'm willing to restructure how I do my life. Structure matters. No, but I'm comfortable here. Well, that's right. You're comfortable, but you're not fulfilling your potential. Transition from one structure to another structure requires that word we love so much, change. My dad told me before he passed away, he said, son, I've led change. And he had, he's a great superintendent of our district. He said, I've led change. I've changed. I get it. But one thing I've learned about change is it takes energy. I said, yes, it does. He said, and son, I don't have any more. Because I'd already told him I wanted to move him out of his house into another place. He said, I don't want to change. I don't want to have to know where a new bathroom is. I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to know how many steps it takes. I can close my eyes and go anywhere I want to go. I got this down. Leave me alone. I'm going to die just like this. We are not changing anymore. I get that. And what happens in the church sometimes, some of us that have made three or four dynamic changes in, this, in the church that have helped us get where we are, we get to that little point where we're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. It takes energy to change. I have to learn stuff that I already learned three times. It's like when the iPhone wants to do an update. I just look at it and go, in the name of Jesus, I will not let you update. I just figured out the last update. I am finally able to use you correctly. And then you come in wanting to change like you're going to take a better picture. I don't even take pictures. Just, just go to the devil phone. You are not going to change. And that's sometimes about the way old people can be about new change in the church. Man, that's good preaching, Pastor. Yeah, I know. I am an old person. <laughs> it's, my, it's my right because I don't like change anymore. But the thing is, if we don't change, we can never reach our potential. And that old structure, as good as it is, it's just a structure. It's just a structure. It's just a mechanism. It's a ladder. It's a way to get there. It's not the answer. It's not holy. Somebody said Sunday school should be holy. It was a good idea, and what we're doing now is not as good. I won't argue with that. But I'm going to tell you, saying that that structure was the best or to saying that small groups this way or small, be careful. Be careful because as good as anything is during time, but it's the same in our life personally. You've got to go back and look at the structure you've developed and look at it and be honest with yourself and say, is this now my problem that I've been doing my devotions this way for 17 years? That I've been in the same place at the church for 12 years, same assignment, same job. Maybe it's time somebody gets my job and I get something else. Man, I'm making you uncomfortable and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. That's what's sad. <laughs> it's that idea that structure matters. That's only day three. I've got to hurry. Day four. Are you still with me? I'm not even going to look at it. I'm just going to tell you what it says. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars and he established a process. Why did he do it? He did it for this purpose. He says this in the passage. 
Can you, is it up there? And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as, you ready? Signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. Now, the first, the first purpose of the planet, the planets and the stars, the first purpose is to create a cycle of life with seasons, days, and years. He establishes a rhythm and seasons. Why was it so important that he does that? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand that at the end of the process, he's got man standing there, and he says to man, I'm going to give you every seed bearing a plant and an assignment. Here's your assignment. I want you to fill, fill the earth with people. Fill the earth, not the garden. God gave him a starting spot. We call it the garden, and it was full of seeds. And he gave him every seed-bearing plant. He said, but I want you to fill the whole earth. I want you to subdue the whole earth, and I want you to rule the whole earth. So to fill means multiply. Subdue means keep growing and take it till you got everything. Rule means manage what you already have. So don't, don't just reach the new. you still got to manage what you've already conquered. So it's a beautiful process. All that making sense. That's his assignment. So he gives him every seed-bearing plant. Well, seeds, in order to understand this, then he gives him seasons. So seasons allow those seeds to become what they're supposed to be. Seasons allow all of this potential to be fulfilled. Many times in my life, I've gone to God, and I say, God, I need this, da-da-da, whatever it may be. And it's big. It's usually huge. And it's just so big. And it's so much bigger than me. And it's just so impossible. And I say, God, I really need this. And God says, okay, here you go. And he hands me a seed. And I say, God, I'm not sure what part of my prayer you didn't understand. But I just got this really big, and it's huge, and it's phenomenal. He said, I know, and it's all in there. And I said, well, God, this, this, is, this is nice. It's cute. But, but I, I really have this to do. And God said, it's all in there. Well, what do I have to do? Well, you have to plant it. I said, but even one. He said, I know. You've got to plant it again. Well, then you have to plant that. He said, the truth is, you're, you're looking at 10,000 acres of production if you will submit to the process. If you'll participate in the way I do things. And so I plant that little seed in the soil and I do it in the right season. So prepared soil matters. So I prepare the soil. I plant it in the right season. And then when the time comes, it brings forth shoots. And those shoots are cool, but they're still not fruit. And finally, they produce fruit. And then I take the fruit and I can eat some of the fruit, but inside the fruit is the seed. And then I get to the end of that first season and I've got about a hundred seeds where I just had one seed. So then I prepare more soil. And when the season's right, I plant those seeds and then I do it again. And now I have about 10,000 seeds, and then the next year I do it again, and this dependable, repeatable cycle. Understanding seed time and harvest from the very beginning is very important for us to become what we're supposed to be. We, it affects how we give. Come on, somebody say giving matters. It matters, and when we learn the power of the seed of the dollar, we will see God do things we did not know he could do. When we understand the power of the seed of our words, what we say, what we speak into the lives of others, we can encourage or discourage. What we say can release things that are supposed to be and when we just keep doing it and the things that come back and we release and the people that come in and the ministry that comes in when I was pastoring our church had grown to about 400 and and I you know it was moving along pretty good we started with 17 we now have 400 and the Lord spoke to me I was having this great prayer time and God spoke to me and he said here's your issue 
You're looking at all of those people as if they were the fruit of your ministry when you should be looking at them as the seed to the future. And whether you see something as a fruit or a seed completely affects how you use it and what you do with it. Understanding the power of seed and the importance of seasons. Well, the teaching on seasons takes forever. Um, Let me give it to you in five minutes. Number one, the four seasons that we see are, first of all, we'll start with spring. We call that revival in the church and in my life. It's that time where the atmosphere, uh uh-oh, here we go again. What do seasons do? Seasons affect the atmosphere. So where you have this atmosphere that has to do with the geography, we also have an atmosphere that has to do with the season. You with me? And so in, in, the, in the spring, the atmosphere shifts. Have you ever noticed this? When the atmosphere shifts, all the stuff that's been dormant begins to live again. I don't have to ask it to live. I don't have to go speak the name of Jesus over it even. It just starts living because the atmosphere shifted. Stuff starts turning green. Buds start coming up on the trees. Weeds start growing in my yard. Atmosphere allows things to grow. Atmosphere allows, well, in the season, we call it revival in a church. When a church has been a little dormant, a little lacking, and the atmosphere begins to shift, and all of a sudden new stuff starts happening. It's not fruit yet. It's not harvest yet. But we begin to see new stuff, new life, new attitudes, new faith, new ministries, new ideas. The new begins to come. It's more fun to come to church than it was before. It's exciting now. It's new. It's green. We got stuff with pretty colors and and flowers and the smells are better and it's all spring. We call that revival. In our own life, it's where I've been going after God and a shift takes place in my life and suddenly I can feel a sense of, of an atmosphere that's allowing me to have hope. New ideas are coming. New thoughts are coming. New people are coming into my life. New opportunities are coming. It's that new time we call spring. Number two, though, that is, is summer. When summer comes, all of that new shoots begin to grow new fruit, and that's different. The function shifts. Now it's not about the new limb coming up. It's about the fruit being produced, and it shifts with the atmosphere. In the church, revival is a lot of fun, but harvest is, is, is a lot of work. But the beauty of the revival, if it doesn't turn to harvest, then it was a wasted revival. You with me? It's got to turn into fruit. Well, when you start, when you get into harvest, every, everybody I've ever talked to in that world tells me the importance of uh, every, every farmer says it's not about all the growth of the stalks. It's about the fruit on the other end. And so the focus is about the fruit. And the hardest work is when the fruit starts coming in. You can't go to sleep because ever, 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 you know, it has a shelf life. And so, so we have that piece. And then you go into the, to the time of fall when for the trees, all the leaves fall off and all the stuff is laid bare. All the stuff that grew up during the harvest and our, our, during spring that produced and didn't produce, it's now revealed. And you start cutting off stuff that didn't produce, cleaning up, clean up the mess that was created by all the leaves. And now you have the mess, the cleanup after the harvest, and that's an important season. And there's an atmosphere for it. And then finally, finally you get into winter. And winter is not about anything up top. It's all about the roots. And during the winter, you grow your roots. During the winter, you grow the deep things. And God creates it. So in your life, you'll go through seasons and shifts as God is making you into who you need to be. 
and you can only go so far in one spring until you have to bear fruit. And you can only bear so much fruit until you have to clean up the mess that was created by the process. And then you have to grow more roots. And because without more roots, you can't become what you're supposed to be in the next season. And so these cycles of life he put into place. Are y'all still with me? Ah, I'm going too much for one group. I know, I apologize almost that I'm giving you this much this soon. But that cycle of life begins to matter in you. And so we're back over here. God showed me what's wrong with me, and I'm wanting to fix it today. So he creates an atmosphere. He requires me to form a new structure, and then he puts me in this repeatable thing, which doesn't let me to fix it, let me fix it all in one season, but I have to have different seasons in the process of my life, but I'm always moving forward. And so my one seed that I brought with me produces more than I thought, and then next time, and next time. And then one day I look up five or six seasons into his, and I don't, nest, don't tie it to an annual calendar. It's based on what God's doing in your life. But someday I look back and realize, look at all of this that God has done for me. When he found me, I was this dysfunctional thing. But look through the process what I have become today. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. Now, there's three more days, and you're going, what happens in the next three days? Don't leave us now, Pastor, because it's not even noon yet, and our pastor never lets us out before 1230, so you do not have to be in a trouble. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up, but I'm not looking at him either. So anyway, so, so after this seasonal process becomes a part of our life, that's day four, part of how God redeems us, and then we get to day five. What happens on day five? Well, on day five, God adds stuff. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth, cross the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the water teams that moves about according to their kinds and the wings and the birds. And he goes on and on. What's he saying to us? Here's what had happened. Way back over here, when God found you and he reaches in and begins to work on you and he shows you what's wrong with you, already inside of you were gifts and talents and abilities that you may not have even known you had. It was the stuff that God puts in us while we're yet in our mother's womb. It's the stuff that was weaved into us that makes us who we are. It's unique. We're not like anybody else. I have my uniqueness. I'm not like my brother and my sister. I'm much smarter than them. I, I like them, and they're nice people, but, I mean, come on. Let's just be honest. No, my brother would say, poor guy, he just can't run as fast as me. He was never as athletic as me, and now he's old and wore out, and I'm young and healthy. So, but, but the bottom line is, we really are unique, even from our own brothers and sisters. We're unique from our brothers and sisters in the church. But all of that power is put in us for that purpose. Over here, right? It's in that for this, and it's there, but we don't know what it is. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Once God puts us in the right atmosphere, and we have the right structure, that stuff that was in us begins to grow and develop and come to the surface. I mean, things start happening in our life that we didn't know could happen. Our parents start saying, I know you could do that. I didn't know I could do it either. I didn't know you could see. I didn't know you had and gifts and talents and abilities begin to come to the surface just with those two things, a shift in the atmosphere and a shift in the structure. And then that gives me something to build and grow on during this season. However, 
you don't get everything you need. Actually, on this day, God didn't, this was not, this didn't have to do with what just came up out of the ground. This now, God is saying, now I'm going to add into what I've started things that were not already there but are very necessary to the ecological makeup of the earth. Uh, these things need to be in the mix, but they're not in the mix. I'm going to have to add them. You know what that says to me? That says that as good as we are way over here and that we're realizing we are in the process and all the gifts and talents that are coming up in us and all the anointing, we're going, Woo, I better not thought. I am special. I am so. And then God says, yeah, but you don't have this or this or this or this and you need it. What does that mean? Well, now God has to do some addition. There's two ways God adds to us the rest of what we don't have. The number one way is through relationship. God brings people into our life now that can do the things we can't do. He brings people with giftings we don't have and strengths we don't have and abilities we don't have, and he adds them to us so that together. Can I just say this? Let me just run down a little private trail. Part of the problem with uh, coming out of COVID is too many people are trying to fulfill their potential as a Christian without coming back to church. We have deficiencies and inabilities baked into us for the purpose of making room for others. Paul even said, I glory in my weakness. Well, Paul, the rest of us are glorying in our strength. He said, I know, but I have that. I don't need to glory in that. I need to glory in what I can't do so that others will come around me that will fill in those gaps. And so there's something about making room for others, that addition. Number two, there are things in my life that God does want to add and talents and abilities he wants me to develop that were not there naturally. And so there are those times in my life where God says, I want you to do this. And I say, God, I'm not good at that. And he said, boy, you're telling me. And I said, well, then why would you have me to do it when brother so-and-so over here, he's really good at that. Just let him do it. Yeah, I could do that. And I know I've done that for a lot of what's going on in your life. But this one, I want you to go out and conquer and learn and develop this ability. Well, just give it to me and anoint me. I'll just stand here, be Pentecostal, go, hmm, and then it'll come on me and I'll have it. No, he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put you in a process that's going to help you get to know me better. It's going to help you to get to know you better. And the process is really going to be good for you. But there's some things that I've left out of you that have to be added. Sometimes by life's experience, sometimes by relationship with others. Is all that making sense? And when this begins to come together, I'm still becoming the person God wants me to be. But it makes room for others. I love that little passage in, uh, in Matthew 25 where the guy says, you know, he's got the talents, and the guy with the one talent, if you know the story, God says, what are you bringing me? He says, I'm bringing you back the talent you gave me because I know that you're a hard man harvesting where you've not planted, and so I buried the talent that you gave me. He said, so you know I'm a hard man, and I harvest where I've not planted, yet the best you could do is bring me back what you have, what I gave you? Well, I'm reading that, and I go, whoa, 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 God, stop the presses. You're the one that created the law. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. So if that's the case, then why can you expect this man to harvest where he's not planted? God said, no, I didn't say that. I said, I expect to harvest where I've not planted, not where someone hasn't planted. When I plant in you, 
I expect to harvest somewhere else because I expect you to take what I planted in you and plant it in other places. As the church, he's saying, he's saying, you've got a need, I know you do, but your answer to your need is not from me directly because I've answered that by putting that gift in someone else. Now, you have to have a relationship with them so they can meet that need for you. And in the same way, I've given you some gifts that somebody else in the church needs, and the only way their need's going to be met is if you connect with them. That additional process is really powerful, and it's fulfilled. Paul tries to help us. He said some of your ears and some of your noses and some of your eyes, some of your hands and some of your feet, but it's together that we become the body. And nobody can say, what I have is not necessary. That's what he said. And nobody can say that what you have is not necessary to me. And so there's this beautiful pulling together of this process. All this making sense. The day of addition. Finally, we get down to the end. And he says to us, now I'm going to make a man out of the earth. Takes the man, takes out a rib, makes a woman. Cutting to the chase here. So he creates this incredible man. And he says to the man, you see all that I've done here? Yes, sir. It's yours, not mine. I give it all to you. Every bit of it is yours. I don't need it. I'm a God. I don't need the food it provides. I don't need the air that I've created. I don't need the water to drink. I don't need any of it. It's all for you. You need all of this. I don't need any of this. But you're in charge. It's yours. You rule over this. This is yours. And from that day, now I want you to hear this because I'm, I'm wrapping up. From that day, anytime God has a mess that needs to be turned into a masterpiece, he calls a person to do it. Everything... And, we hear the story of John the Baptist, and there was a man sent from God. We find the Nehemiah that you've been studying sent in to do the work. Story after story, all through the scripture, God calls a person and sends a person. And he says to the person, I've got a mess. And I have separated you and built you in a different atmosphere. Now, I'm going to lead you into the mess and give you revelation of the mess so that you can restore someone else and lead them through the process, and then we'll turn that mess into a masterpiece. God works through people. So when it's a church, we understand the power of the call of pastor, and that God gives pastors, Ephesians chapter 4, and pastors have revelation. Pastors lead us and move us. But in the same way, in the church, there's somebody in this church whose life is a mess, and we're praying, oh, God, fix their mess. And God comes to us and says to us, I want you to help them. I'm going to work through you to fix their mess. Well, Lord, if you want to fix their mess, just fix in Jesus' name. Be fixed. God said, yeah, that was really cool. Now, what I want you to do. <laughs> well, God, just, I mean, I'm not that good. You know, the truth is, remember that structure? You can never be what you're going to be next until you accept the responsibility of the call that's on you now. And it's going to require a structure shift in your life. But you're going to walk back over here into this person's life and say, you know, all that mess in your life, it used to be in my life. I know that very well. 
I've watched God turn me into something much better. And I'm still not all I'm going to be, but I'm telling you, I have revelation for you. And I'm going to begin to be that one that's going to shine a light on you and show you and help you and walk you. And we begin to take responsibility for one another, which brings us back to that part where we're part of the addition process. And it all this begins to connect. I skipped a little part in, on Saturday or on Friday, really, when our, you know, we do our week a little different, but on the Friday of the process, before he created man, he created the big animals that eat everything else he had created. <laughs> That's funny. You know what he did? Part of the process that I've kind of skipped and I shouldn't have is he created a little opposition to what he had already created. Because nothing reaches its potential without opposition. Nobody gets stronger without trying to lift more weight than they can. Nobody becomes who they can be without facing enemies and fighting battles. It's a part of the process. And then on the last day, somebody said, we got there. Praise God. This is going to be over. Yeah, all right. On the last day, it says God rested. He created Sabbath. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that the last day is also the first day. And when I rest as I should and keep the Sabbath holy, get alone with God and rest with Him, I get new revelation for a new week. And I never walk in, let there be light, if I haven't rested with the Lord. And that the process of this full week leading me back into true Sabbath, true rest, releases me for new revelation. Revelation will require that God helps me to develop the new environment. And then that will lead me to a new structure. And then I'll begin to participate ongoing again and again and continually in the seasons. And then God will add to me and I'll become the add for others. And then there will be some opposition. It's kind of all along the way. And then I'll become who God meant for me to be. And I'll have what I couldn't have. I'll rest. So I create that rhythm of rest. I create that rhythm of all of this. And so we kind of mix it all up, though, because a lot of it's happening simultaneous. But the principles, he clearly took day by day so we would understand the principles of how he turns our mess into a masterpiece. And in a nutshell... That's the whole thing of the creation and what we can learn from it. Let's pray together. Father, I've given them more information than I should have. But different ones, Lord, based on where they are in life, you spoke to concerning different moments in their own life. Some, Lord, they were able to grasp the whole thing, but others, others you just literally honed them in on a certain place where they are. I pray that that part would become so real to them and so deep in them and the truth of it that a release would be in their life to participate with you, not pull against you or fight you or be discouraged in the process, but to begin to celebrate where they are, that they are in a process and you are taking what was a mess and making it a masterpiece. Encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them. Help them. Do your work in them. Until your work is finished, help them to participate and become that for others. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, just 
Seal up what you've been doing in us today. Just seal it up. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to know, do you know Jesus? Jesus is the one that takes our mess and turns it into a masterpiece. That may be where you are right now. God may have already been at work, already at work, showing you the mess of your life, showing you the fact that you're a sinner, showing you that where you're going is taking you to hell, showing you that you need a Savior, and moving in your heart till that you know He is that Savior, and that's where you are. And you've come here today with that reality, and you're ready to start this process. If that's you, if that's you and you're ready to receive Jesus, you already know He's real, I don't have to convince you, the Holy Spirit's been at work, and you know it's time. And for you to continue to postpone your response to him would become even a greater sin. This is your moment, and you need to receive Jesus as your Lord. Would you just wave at me? Just wave your hand. I'm going to pray for you. If there's anyone here, just give me a wave so I'll know. I don't want to leave you behind today. You're very important to us. Anyone, anywhere. That's me, Pastor. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. All right. I'm not seeing anyone. Here's what I want to do now. I want to know... How many of you here feel like God has been trying to change the atmosphere in your life and you know that he's at work shifting that atmosphere? Would you just do this for me? Just stand up. Just go ahead and stand up. Don't be, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I just feel strong. There's a number of you. Yeah, that's what I thought. God's trying to shift the atmosphere because what he's trying to do, the atmosphere you're in, it just can't support it. And so God's trying to make some pretty dynamic changes in you. You're like, God, why are you doing that? Well, here's why. Because God has plans for you. And he knows what he's put in you. And it can't come to the surface. It can't develop in that atmosphere. Just stay with me. Just, just keep standing. Some of you would say, God's been trying to restructure my life. He's been calling on me to change how I do life. And some of you are going to say, well, that's me on both of these. I get that. But join these that are already standing. Just jump up and say, that's me. That's me. He's not letting me do life the way I've become comfortable. He's requiring me to change the very process of my life in order to move. The thing I hope you got out of today is that it's all a part of his wisdom and his plan. It's his process. Don't push back. Surrender to it. Yeah. Yeah. Any others on that? There's one more thing. I'm going to skip some of that others, but just little pieces on my heart for you. That God is trying to use you to add to somebody else. Or he's trying to cause you to make room for somebody in your life that you've been unwilling to make room for. And they're the addition you need. Just jump up right now. One, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. Join these that are already standing. There you go. There you go. There you go. Father, in the name of Jesus. Just hold your hands up. Just just hold them up to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are standing here. They're acknowledging that you're at work in their life that you've been doing some things so that you can do what you're doing, so you can call them out, so you can make them to be all you've called them to be, so you can fulfill what you began. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would guide them through this process, that you would lead them step by step in this process, that you would give them the strength and the faith not to give up, but to follow you where you're leading and to know where to go. I pray the anointing of the Lord would be stronger on them because they recognize this is a part of the work of God. This is God at work in me. I understand this is God. I celebrate the fact God's not giving up on me. He's turning me into what he wants me to be. This is his process. I pray courage and encouragement and joy, that joy would fill their heart today. 
because they know they're in the process of God. The joy of the Lord would be their strength and the power of God would enable them. I pray this, oh God. I pray this. And I thank you for hearing this simple prayer over these incredible people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Wow. Thank you for allowing me to give you seven hours worth in just about a half an hour and plus a little. And, uh, and God bless you, Pastor. It's been an honor to be with you today. Welcome your pastor as he comes this morning. Thank you so much, brother. Tell you what, my, uh, my brain is hurting, but my heart is soaring this morning, man. <laughs> I just feel like I've been drinking out of a water hose for the last few minutes, but God has been speaking to us. Megan's pastor always said this, there's some sermons that you come and respond to, and there's some sermons you just go and do. And some of this now is we've got to take what we've received, not just be impressed by it, but let it make an impression on us and go and do it. So, Father, I pray as we leave the house of God today, God, I pray you'll bless the people. God, I pray you'll bless them, keep them, let your face shine upon them, give them strength and power to do what you put in their hearts to do. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.